gentlemen, welcome back to the East Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, your host, co-host sitting right across from me, Greg Dutcher. Greg, how you doing today? Dude, it's a repeat of last week. <laughs> the Ravens lost. I know. That was the uh, that was the easy win, wasn't it? It was the guaranteed slam dunk must-win game because, I mean, last week, okay, we lost to Broncos, the Broncos in Denver, Peyton Manning. That's fine. You know, you can, you can live with that. This was Oakland. The Oakland Raiders. Dude, the Raiders. They spanked us like they were our papa. It was humiliating. 37 points. We had no defense. It was a sieve. But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter or upset. I am just very happy that that game is done. And uh, the experts say with an 0-2 start, 12% 12% of teams uh, make it onto the playoffs. So, anyway. So, so uh, the Ravens have a lot to come back from that. Oh, my goodness. I'm just excited that we have a, a great guest because I need my spirits lifted. That's right. So. And uh, joining us today, Trevin Wax. Trevin, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing awesome. Um, we're so excited to have you on here. We just want to give you a few minutes to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, friends, family, job, any extracurricular hobbies that you do, all that crazy stuff. Yeah, well, um, uh, I am 34 years old, uh, originally from Tennessee, and am living again in Tennessee after a uh, a pretty interesting uh, route around the world. I uh, felt called as a as a teenager to to do mission work, and um, wound up moving to Romania. Bought a one way ticket when I was 19. Wow. Moved to Romania, uh, lived there for five years. I uh, got married while I was over there. Um, we had our, our first uh, child during that, that period of life and um, uh, did um, mission work, education there, um, really learned how to preach and teach and uh, in, a, in a different cultural setting. And then, uh, then came back to the United States and am um, uh, currently... Uh, living back in my hometown, but working at Lifeway Christian Resources, where I was brought on to uh, to begin um, a gospel-centered curriculum uh, for all ages that is uh, is called the Gospel Project. So uh, my wife Karina and I we've been married for uh, for twelve years. Uh, we have three children, uh, two boys and a girl, and it's you know we're we're at a place where the we we've, we've really been able to to see how the Lord has. Um, worked in our lives and through us in the past decade or so, and so it's exciting to to be able to teach and write and serve the the church in the different ways God uh, allows us to. That's great. That's great. That's great. And your age range of kids, Trevin, is what I know. You told us right before we went on today that you've been blessed that you didn't have two simultaneously in diapers. Uh, That's right. That is <laughs> that is a blessing. It is a blessing. We have uh, an 11-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 2-year-old. The last one is in diapers, but they, uh, we never had to have two at once trying nice. to do the sleep thing and the potty training thing. And I, I will say having uh, siblings who have had them closer together, uh, that has been, that's been interesting to watch. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. These moms especially deserve medals. I mean that we uh, – Oh, yeah. We've not been in that spot either. Well, I, I told you, we were for a very short period because – our youngest two were uh, two years apart, but uh, uh, I, I will say this: uh, there was no more incentivizing influence um, to hurry up and get the older one out of diapers <laughs> than having a new baby. We were like, "This potty training is priority A number one." 
and uh, I, I bet with uh, that age range, you you guys have a nice spread. And where where in Tennessee do you reside now, Trevin? So Lifeway is in Nashville. So that's you know right in Middle Tennessee. That's where I work. But uh, we actually live. My hometown is Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is um, one of the fastest growing cities in the country. It has changed a ton even since I grew up here. But um, it is uh, southeast of Nashville, about thirty miles or so. Gotcha. And okay. um, so, yeah. So that's that's where we're at, and uh, back in the hometown, even while I, I get to to work in in the great city of Nashville. That's great, man. And you know what? I have to say, I, I'm not detecting. Are you, Nathan, much of a of an accent? No. Maybe I'm being ridiculously no. stereotypical here, but because you you grew up uh, down there, correct? I did, I did, but I, I think I lost. Um, I can turn on the accent if I need to at <laughs> family reunions and things, but I, I think I lost most of that when, uh, you know, you, you, you spend as much time as I did in Romania and my wife and I, um, both, um, my wife is Romanian. And so, and I speak fluent Romanian. And so we, we speak Romanian in the home. And so I think when you, when you couple the fact that I was gone for as long as I was, and then you, you were transplanted back here and yet we, uh, we speak another language in the house. I think that just keeps the the accent from creeping back up into my my normal way of speaking. Wow, wow, that is That's so great. cool. Yeah, because I would almost say you're accentless. Yeah, uh, which is how <laughs> I mean that's how we feel about ourselves in Maryland. Other people tell us we have accents, but well, you're a transplant, Nathan. You I am. Out. You're a you're a New England. Well, Pete. People from the United Kingdom say we all have accents here. In the right, oh, right, of course. <laughs> of course. And of course, they don't have an accent. Uh, right, right, right. I mean, we say we say they have an English accent, and they're like, "No, that's just English." <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Historically, it's hard to argue with that. You know, they they that do. True, they true. do have priority, no doubt. Uh, that's funny. Well, uh, Trevin, you mentioned the um, the gospel project. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Um, that's something that Lifeway wanted you to start working on was curriculum that was gospel centered. Gospel project came out of that. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. So uh, five years ago, almost five years ago, um, is when I started work at Lifeway to to get this project going. Um, Lifeway had identified, you know, Lifeway does a lot of things. They do, you know, events. So there's uh, a number of stores around the U.S., of course, and then you have uh, curriculum publishing for Sunday school classes, small groups, things like that. Um, at the same time, there is, um, uh, we, we also do books and uh, music, various things. And one of the things that we had noticed in our conversations with churches about curriculum is that um, different churches have different starting points as to how they like to do Bible study. So some churches are very text-focused. They want to start basically the jumping-off point for um, this kind of a, a group would be you, you just you take the biblical text. You go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book through the Bible, mm-hmm. and whatever wherever you are in the flow of the biblical text that week, um, is where you're going to um, is where you're going to be, and and Lifeway has a curriculum uh, that is specifically designed to go book by book. That's been going for you know twenty to thirty years now, I think, and uh, it's called Explore the Bible, and that's a, a a famous curriculum that Lifeway has has put out, very well known. Another starting point that people have is is life application. So 
you don't start with a text right away. You usually start with some sort of pressing life issue, question, need, or whatever, and then you go to the biblical text and you work through the text to see how it speaks to that to that need. And so, Bible studies for life is this um, uh, this kind of application focused um, meet people where they're at, then bring them into the to the Bible kind of curriculum. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of people that were saying. You know, there's another starting point that Lifeway really isn't isn't serving as as much, and that's the theology starting point, where um, where you start with the Bible's big picture, the grand narrative, and you then go to the text by showing how it connects to the rest of the Bible. Mm. Um, what kind of um, you, you know what where, how this fits in with all that the church teaches, how this all points to Jesus and whatnot, and so that is a biblical theological um, starting point, and it's one that we didn't really have an answer for when people were asking Lifeway for for curriculum options. There was nothing quite like that. And so, so I was brought on to uh, help cast a vision for what that would look like, mm-hmm. um, what that might be, how that might uh, unite across all ages, how we might get churches into God's Word, understanding how... Um, the basic Bible stories of the Bible all tell one overarching story, and then how the basic fundamental theological doctrines of the Christian faith all all match up uh, into that. Mm. It, so that that's how it started. That's really neat, Trevin. Can I ask you? I for the longest time uh, in Christian publishing, it seemed that um, I, well, and I'm going to out you a little bit here. Obviously, Trevin, I think anybody that knows your writing. Uh, and we're going to talk about your books here in a little bit, knows that you come at things, Am I? Uh, is this safe to say, from a Reformed perspective? Um, would, that, would that be accurate? Because I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, it depends on who you, who you talk to who's defining, who's defining terms. Yes. I mean, I, know, I have some Reformed friends who would say, oh, you're a Baptist, you're not really Reformed at all. <laughs> and, then, and then I have, um, I actually theologically line up probably closest on on the doctrines of salvation with um, uh, Millard Erickson, Bruce Demarest, sure, which is a which is a uh, somewhat of a modified. Uh, the, the overarching structure is is somewhat reformed, but it's it's modified in that there are certain areas where there's um, divergence from what classical reform teaching has been. So, um, you know, I would so for example, I would put faith before regeneration in the the order of salvation. Sure, but I would also affirm something very similar to the effectual call, which, so for some people that puts you on the reform side of the ledger, for other people that puts you on the, you know, you're just an Arminian and don't know it kind of right, that. Right. It re- so it really depends on who you talk to, but I think when it, within the overarching um, framework of Christianity, I'm, I'm definitely seeing myself within the, um, the broad reformational stream. Yeah. And um, that's why the, the Christ-centered approach to Scripture um, I think resonates with, with me because uh, the best in the reformational stream, and even really back into a lot of the church fathers, have always had this emphasis on how all the Bible fits together and ultimately points to Jesus. Yes, yeah, great answer, Trev. And I, and you know, I, I think one of the things I've liked about you and your writing is that you, um, you're cautious. This is my sense to not just sort of uh, assume everything under a particular theological label, uh, but to be, you know. Uh, viciously textual and um, 
stay on it from the standpoint of uh, scripture and um, uh, exegesis. And just for our listeners, Trevin speaking outside, that's wind. Yeah. Um, Nathan is not uh, controlling our sound effects board. <laughs> Bring in the Acts 2 rush of the Holy Spirit at this that's point. That's right. Um, that, receive that, it. That's receive true. I wish you guys were here and we're walking where I'm able to walk. It would be like we're actually walking together. You know, maybe, oh, maybe he, could awesome. put some, he could put some sound effects in there that's of right. like some little birds. And, yeah, some birds. A bird here or there. Yeah. The yeah. soft crumbling of soil <laughs> under our shoes and, and all that. That's right. That's but, right. Um, the reason that I mention that is what I love about that this uh, gospel project uh, is under Lifeway, is Lifeway for the longest time was seen as, oh, that's a quote-unquote Baptist publisher. Uh, and uh, a lot of my Reformed friends would say, no, no, you have to stick with the well-known Reformed publishers. Um, but I sense in you, Trevin, a desire to bring a very gospel-centric focus into a broader evangelical context. Is that, does that kind of capture your heart and your, your own life mission? It, it, that is true. Um, I, the thing that I would, I would say has been most interesting about this is that um, I actually see this as a more, um, I don't see this as a dilution of my Baptist identity or the, the background of, uh, of Baptist publishing. I actually see it as something of a fulfillment of that. And the yes. reason is, is because... Um, I don't have to look far at all to find great Baptist preachers and theologians who have been making the Christ-centered case for decades, even centuries. Um, it's fascinating. I was reading the memoirs of a one of the former presidents of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, um, a, a well-known, a hundred years ago, was one of the, the most well-known Old Testament uh, scholars in the world, John R. Samby. And I was looking through these memoirs, and he was going to Nashville and helping them plan their curriculum a hundred years ago, 1914, wow. 1915. And, and he said that there were these complaints that the, that the, the lessons were not focused on the redemptive story of the Bible enough. Hmm. And so that they needed to make sure that Christ was at the center of every cycle and that they got, they showed how the Bible pointed together. And so, it was fascinating. I'm reading his memoirs, and a hundred years ago, they developed a, a sequence for how to take people through the Bible over the course of, through year, of a few years, from Genesis to Revelation, showing how it all points to Jesus. I, I'm sitting there on the, on the couch, and I look over to my wife, Karina, I'm like, you won't believe this, but John R. Sampy, a hundred years ago, was creating something that just sounds a lot like what we're doing with the Gospel <laughs> yeah. Project. And she says you mean it's taken a hundred years and you guys are just now figuring it <laughs> And I was like, no, honey, that, that was not the point. The, yeah. the point is every, every generation has to rediscover this, this truth for ourselves, has to remember the scarlet thread of redemption that, that ties the Bible together. And so I don't see that as a particularly Baptist thing because, I, I mean, obviously the Church Fathers did this, mm -hmm. Reformational heroes have done this, Reform theology, as of late, has been very strong on this. Yeah. Um, but I see this as uh, a more, um, just a more robust way of getting down to the to the mere Christianity, to the essentials that uh, are true of every Christian that comes to study the Bible to see how how the Bible all points us to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent, Travis. And who um, who who are some of your um, who are some of your heroes, the guys that you read that have really impacted you? I mean, you've mentioned a few names already, but 
that you say, man, I, I read this or I hear this person preach, living or dead, uh, and uh, have, have really influenced your thinking? Well, as far as preachers go, I mean, I, I, I don't think you can get any better than Spurgeon. No, you can't. <laughs> uh, for, for, for when it talks to, I mean, just, just the way he's able to, to describe truth is just unbelievable. Um, yeah. So Spurgeon, I would, I would go back to. I, I also really enjoy a lot of Chrysostom's oh, yeah. uh, writing, John Chrysostom's yeah. from the, he's probably the church father who, when it comes to, to uh, sermons, I resonate with the most. I, I love reading Augustine on some areas. Mm-hmm. I, his sermons are not always the ones that I would, I would say are the, are the most helpful if you kind of take the biblical textual approach we do today. Uh, Chrysostom's a little closer to us, but still just so memorable. Uh, so Chrysostom would be one, and then um, uh, w- when it comes to to, um, to Baptist life, uh, W.A. Criswell uh, was a pastor in Dallas for decades, and um, all of his sermon transcripts are online. And yes. I, 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 I don't go to Criswell for how to exposit the text as much, mm-hmm. though he does a lot of that, because um, you can get so much of that in commentaries, but some of his most powerful sermons— are absolutely breathtaking as to how they, with such beauty, describe biblical truth. So, for example, when he talks about, you know, the animal sacrifices in the garden so that Adam and Eve could be clothed, Mm -hmm. just yesterday we were doing the Gospel Project, and there's a quote from Chris Will on the side where it talks about, um, you know, God clothing Adam and Eve in the garden, and, you know, this being a very subtle uh, hint as to something had to die in order for them to be to be clothed, and and he the way he describes the scene, he says somewhere in the garden on that morning, that evening, I can't I can't remember how he says it, but um, the ground drank up the blood from the first, very first sacrifice or something to that effect, and the way he described it, it, it's just he goes on from there, but it's just it it takes the beauty of the moment. And and is able to pierce you in in ways that are different than if he had just said somewhere somewhere in the garden there was a sacrifice. You know, yes. it's the mm-hmm. it's the way it, he does the same thing with like Cain and Abel. He talks uh, he talks about you know you know um, Adam covering the the ground of of um, uh, or, or you know creating the mound of of dirt that would cover Abel. So suddenly you see in the garden instead of just oh there's this awful murder. You, you are suddenly confronted with the reality right around that story as to what would it have been like? What do you do? What is right. death like the very mm-hmm. first time it, it shows up in the garden in this horrific way? And so, so he's another one that I go to, um, to, 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 to force myself to say, am I, am I presenting this truth as beautifully as I can? Yeah. Yeah. That's great, Trevin. Yeah. Those, uh, yeah, th- those quotes, I'm a, I'm a, a quote searcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, always since I, I preach just about every week and, uh, yeah, you've actually given me a sort of a, a, a new potential source there. I think I've only quoted Criswell once or twice, but yeah, it sounds like there's uh yeah, that he can really, uh, paint a picture well with a pen. And, uh, if I can transition from that point, Trevin, cause you're, you're actually, you, you, you introed something talking about children's curriculum, uh, and I'll set you up a little bit here. One of the difficulties I think that people began to notice. And I think you've mentioned some of this so far with children's curriculum. And, and believe me, I know it when I've taught children, I tend to think that so many traditional curriculums, Sunday school, children's church, 
with children. Or you, you teach the biblical story, particularly Old Testament stories, but you can do this with the new. And, uh, okay, Abraham uh, offers up Isaac on the altar. He's ready to sacrifice him. So the lesson that day may be about the great faith of Abraham. Not that that's not a legitimate point. I mean, obviously Hebrews, uh, you know, mentions that, and it is worthy of emulation. Uh, and then you go to Daniel, and you've sort of got the famous, I think that's even, you know, a famous book title, <laughs> Servant Series, Dare to be a Daniel. Um, Joseph trusted God. We should trust God. Um, in the New Testament, you know, uh, the, the Good Samaritan sh- shows kindness. We should show kindness. That in essence, much of children's curriculum becomes a set of moralistic instructional stories. And I, you've written a lot about this, Trevor. I know this is kind of the background of your passion to bring something different. Um, could, could you talk about that a bit, uh, how the Gospel Project would stand in contrast to that approach? Yeah, I think this is the this is one of the defining aspects of the Gospel Project that sets it apart from from other other curriculum. And and based on the response, I mean, we just in just last week we uh, we got the news that we had surpassed one million participants a, a week. Wow! Using wow. the Gospel Project, That's and the great. majority of that is kids. Yeah. So the kids has been where the need has been felt most at the greatest. Um, it, to give an example, we were we were actually discussing um, just yesterday. Um, with our our kids, we were on our way to church, and we were talking about um, the, the the conversation came up to Gospel Project, and what's the difference between that and another curriculum? And and I we we talked about you mentioned Daniel. We talked about Daniel not eating the meat, mm-hmm. um, uh, the king's meat, instead, you know, wanting to be faithful to God and, and eat only vegetables. And then it turns out that he and his friends actually come along better than. And the rest, and I, so I just, out of curiosity, I said, so, because we know of another curriculum and how a different curriculum treats that passage, uh, we, I, just asked our, I just asked our kids, who already were familiar with the story, I just said, so what, what do you think the point of that story is? And, and my son types up and says, well, um, that God is good and that we should trust him and that uh, obedience comes through that trust no matter what you know what the the king might say or what other people might say or even if there's a cost associated with it mm-hmm. you you trust that god's way is the best way and so that you you know that that that's 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 god and i said okay i said well what would you say if in your curriculum you study that message and they say that the you know daniel's story tells us that we should eat healthy and that we should have more vegetables than meat and that we should make sure you eat your veggies <laughs> and they kind of just our kids just kind of look at me like really Wow, and then and then and and Timothy said, "Well, my, our oldest said, well, I mean, I guess you, I guess that's good too, but that's that's doesn't seem really the point of the story." And I said, "Okay," I was so happy because I thought, "Goodness, if he got, if he had told me that the 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 point of the the message is to eat your veggies, I think I would have just resigned right away." <laughs> right away. <laughs> but but yeah, I I said, "Well, the reason that 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 feels odd to you is because." You you've been doing gospel project for three years, and in our own study at home, and in our we you've been conditioned now to see the point of the story as um, how do these examples from the Old Testament point us to a trustworthy God yes. who keeps His covenant promises? That's a very different way of approaching the text than what's the quick moral I can just apply to whatever circumstance I'm in. And so um, I, the, the, that's a fundamentally different way of looking at the Bible. One says, 
what does this passage say about me or to me right away? The other one says, what does this passage teach me about God? Mm. Yes. And that is a, a very different way of approaching the biblical text. And I, my burden is I want kids to take us to the Gospel Project from the time they're in preschool to the time they're in sixth grade. They will have been to the Bible storyline three times. Wow. My, my question, my desire and burden is I want them by the time they're a teenager— I want them to be conditioned to be asking the right questions of the text. Yes. Not not to be coming to the text as if it's all about them. And so the win is a it's a long win. It's it's not something that happens after one session. It's something that accumulates over time in how we approach the biblical text. And and we do get those moral examples, obviously. I mean sure. it would be wrong to teach the story of a good Samaritan and to not have an application there of kindness. Yes. But, but that virtue should never be taught apart from the vine, right. who is Jesus Christ. And the problem is, so many pr- children's curriculums want to give kids virtues apart from the vine. Yes. And until you give them the, the great message of salvation in Jesus Christ, forget the virtues, because they don't actually save, and we're, we're not empowered to actually uh, uh, model those characteristics in our lives. Yes. Yeah, great, great thoughts there, Trevin. I... Uh... I was going to ask you because years ago I was looking at a curriculum I won't won't name it, uh, but but fairly well known that was dealing with the fruit of the spirit and I was very curious it was a children's curriculum how would they approach this now I'll I'll admit having taught on that subject to children before uh, it is tricky because it it seems difficult okay you okay today boys and girls we're going to talk about uh, self control. And typically, and this is the way the curriculum did it, you would define self-control in childlike terms they could get. It's fine. You would tell a story about, you know, one day Tommy got upset with his sister Sarah uh, and lost his temper and was screaming, etc. Uh, that's a, a bad example. You know, he did not show self-control. And the next time he got upset with uh, his sister, Tommy, uh, you know, took, took a time out. He prayed. He talked to his mom and dad and said, I'm upset with Sarah. And they... Gave him some options on what to do. So the entire lesson, of course, was this is what self-control is. This is a bad example. Here's a good example. Now go and be self-controlled. And, of course, I'm thinking the whole time, okay, um, how do you tie that into the redemptive story? How do you tie that into the fact that this is the fruit of the spirit and not simply an attempt in the flesh for moral do-goodism? And I am curious, Trevor, I might be putting you on the spot here. How do you wrestle teaching, uh, uh, wrestle through teaching the, the, the moral imperatives to children? Um, and just talk more about that, how you, you would try to root that uh, a little more, uh, you know, a little more in gospel soil, I guess. Right. Well, the, the first thing you have to say is that you have to teach them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to teach them, because I, there has been something, I, in my mind, of an overreaction Yes. Uh, in, recent, in recent years where there's almost an allergy to actually teaching the imperatives. Yes. Um, because, because of that, of that excessive, moral, that suffocating moralism that so many have grown up with, there's almost this, this tendency to say, um, you can't do this, and so here's why you need Jesus, end of story. And I, I feel like I'm doing two things constantly in my editorial role at the Gospel Project when I work with authors. On the one hand, I am saying uh, I want to make sure 
that whenever we are holding up a high moral standard, that we are also pointing people to Jesus so that the, the teenager that's in the Gospel Project and that's reading about purity or about um, you know, um, uh, Christian sexual morality or whatnot, mm-hmm. not only has the high standard lifted up before them uh, in all of its glory, but also has the, you know, it, it also speaks to the teenager who feels like they, who is like, oh, I blew that this week. You know, it, do I run to Christ or do I run and hide in my shame? So mm-hmm. I want both of those things to always be, to be there. So where you do teach the imperative, but you give kids and students and adults the the understanding of where they go when they fail which they will do so that there is a place uh there is a place to go but the other thing i would i would add to that when it comes to the um to the moral imperatives is i love i think we've got to get back to the analogy of adoption here mm-hmm. um to the to the theological truth that is is represented by that by that doctrine um because so on the one hand, um, there's something beautiful about knowing that you are part of God's family, um, not because of your merit, but simply because of God's grace. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so there that is a comforting and energizing doctrine to some extent to know that even if you fail, um, even when you sin, that that's not going to change your status as a member of God's covenant family. Um, there's a security there in that adoption metaphor that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. At, at the same time, we, that's not all we should say or, or can say, because there is a sense in which the, the law of God given on the other side of the cross, after we recognize our need for, for grace, after we recognize our need for Christ's righteousness instead of, instead of our own, there is an energizing aspect of that law. The way I compare it to is... Um, uh, say that there's a, a father with his son who's about a year old and is, start, is trying to learn how to, um, how to, uh, to walk. You know, if, they, if the kid falls down, the, the father's not going to say, look, you fell down, but it's okay because your older brother can walk in your place. <laughs> you know? Right, right. At some point, and you've seen this in the eyes of a, of a, of a one-year-old who's learning to walk, when they begin looking over and, and seeing their dad who's motioning to them, come on, come on, you can do this, there's something energizing about that mm-hmm. that is no longer this mindset of, oh, he's giving me a law, he's telling me I have to walk when I know I can't, but it's this, man, dad thinks I can do this, you know? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to watch my son play soccer this afternoon. When I'm on the side of the field and I'm yelling, you know, shoot, score, did it. I'm, I can't imagine Timothy looking over at me and saying, oh, there's my dad always beating me down with the law again. Right. No, it's the, kind, it's the kind of energizing thing like, dad thinks I can score, dad thinks I can shoot. And even if he messes up, it's not going to change the status in the family, yes. but it's, it's going to be, it's the kind of thing that is, is energizing. So, so take that adoption metaphor and place that back on kids' ministry. What I say is, we do need to teach the fruits of the Spirit, and we do need to talk about how they are, uh, how God does give moral imperatives in the New Testament. But they always must come on the other side of the cross. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, we know our, our status in the family is secure. On the other hand, we have God who looks at us and He says, you know what? I know you're, you uh, are going to fail. 
you're not in the family because of anything you've done, but because of the sacrifice and the goodness of your older brother. Mm -hmm. And yet, at the same time, he says, the spirit of your older brother is living in you, and I can see him at work at you. And so when I tell you to love his to love your enemies, I'm telling you to love your enemies because you have the spirit of your brother in you who loves his enemies perfectly, and I think you can do this now because my spirit is in you. That That's the kind of energizing way that the law can be used on the other side of the cross. Yes. But to get there, you've got to go through grace, and you've got to go through the gospel. Yeah. Excellent, Trevor. Thank you. No, that's really great, and we appreciate that. Um, We wanted to uh, ask you some questions about um, the Gospel Coalition as well. Um, Greg, I know in particular had um, had several questions. Um, I know I gave you some general things, you know, just what is the Gospel Coalition for those um, who aren't aware? How does it different from, uh, you know, other parachurch organizations? Um, and uh, where do you see the future going? And I know Greg has some things in there as well. So, um, Greg, were there any specifics that you wanted to ask um, right away or – well, well, I think your first question, Nathan, is, is probably the best starting point uh, for some folks that are listening that might not know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sense is most pastors that I talk to know about it, mm-hmm. been to conferences or at least you know want to go to the conferences sure. and uh, have some sense of you know Tim Keller, D. A. Carson, guys yeah. on it like that. Uh, but yeah, could you just give us the nutshell version? What what is the Gospel Coalition, Trevor? Well, legally. Officially, <laughs> uh, it is a it is a council of pastors. Yes. So the the actual coalition, from a legal standpoint, is not a conference and it's not a website. It is a it is the the council the the uh, the community of pastors who actually make up the membership of the coalition. So from that standpoint, I am not a gospel coalition member, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not I'm not on the council, um, even though I've I've spoken, done breakouts at the, at the conference or have, um, or, or blog on their platform. So mm-hmm. from, from, from the most official standpoint, it's, it's that collective of, of pastors. But then because those pastors are involved, they have a theological vision for ministry. Um, there are so many people and that are connected to the, to the coalition that resonate in some way with the foundational documents, with the vision of D.A. Carson, Tim Keller, some of the, the uh, more influential pastors in the coalition. Um, and so, so you have the, the website as a good example of that. And then you would have the, um, the conferences, um, different ways. There's, there's TGC International as well. Mm-hmm. So there's more and more. There's actually an Australian version of the Gospel Coalition website. There's also uh, the same in France. There's some different collectives of of pastors from other parts of the world uh, as well who are uh, who have latched on to that vision and are 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 trying to encourage one another, strengthen one another, uh, support one another in the in the good work that these local churches are doing. Yes, yes. And how would it differ? Because uh, I've I've heard them answer this in the past, but uh, I was at the first uh, together for the gospel conference, Trevor. I don't know if you were there. That was in '06, I think, when uh, a lot of these sort of movements were, were beginning to really, you know, build some steam and momentum. Um, and I know that at some point the Gospel Coalition released some sort of statement that how they differed from, um, uh, you know, uh, together for the gospel, even though there is a lot of cross-pollination, right? There are members uh, that are in each group, if I, if I have that right. 
That's right. And I think there's enough overlap between those two conferences that they, that the conference organizers always plan them on off years so that they're never in competition with each other in the spring of the same year. Yes. Um, Together for the Gospel is more of a friendship that is a, um, that, that has become a, a conference, a yes. place for good preaching, a place to, uh, uh, to really see, uh, how we can continue to partner together with like-minded, uh, believers. Um, the Gospel Coalition is, is much broader, I think, in that you have, um, it's not simply the emphasis on local church ministry. You also have, because of, of Tim Keller's influence, I think the emphasis on faith and work. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, it, if you wanted to be, um, I, if I, if I were to simplify things, I might say, uh, I think Together for the Gospel has, has a little more of a Puritan impulse mm-hmm. in the Reformed stream of things, and I think the Gospel Coalition has more of a Kyperian mm, um, yes, influence yes. in the overall stream of things. Both of those are within the broader uh, Reformed tradition, and they actually, there's cross-pollination even between those two groups. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's plenty of people I would say are more, maybe, perhaps Puritan-esque in the Gospel Coalition, mm-hmm. um, as well as you'll find some some uh, Kyperian types who uh, really resonate with a lot of what happens at Together for the Gospel. But I think if it were to, in terms of emphasis, I think one leans one way and one leans the other. And so the kinds of affinities, you know, I, I can't imagine John MacArthur at a Gospel Coalition meeting. Right. But right. I can I can, I can can see him, I can see why he would be at together for the gospel there's just there's a little there's overlap but then there's there's some edges as well where i I don't think uh where i think you can see some of those some of those little bit of those distinctions coming come into play yeah that's a great example i think uh for whatever reason nathan macarthur gets mentioned on this podcast a lot i know (laughs) good or uh, bad (laughs) yeah yeah really really because there is and i've often said trevin he he was the guy sort of cut my theological teeth on as a young christian because I had never heard anybody do expository preaching. I, uh, the, the little bit of preaching I had been exposed to had been, you know, more topical. Um, and I turned on the radio one day. I was probably 19 or 20 or so, and I heard a guy preaching through, I don't know, Ephesians. And the next day, it was still Ephesians. And the next day, it was still <laughs> Ephesians. Uh, and I thought, wow, this is, you know, wow. I never, I, I didn't even know anybody did anything like that. So I have a lot of fondness um, for him, particularly in my early years. And, yeah, there's things obviously I I don't see eye to eye with them on as you know we won't with anybody, but I, I see what you mean, and I've always sensed that I've been to both conferences now um, that T4G has done and the Gospel Coalition has done, and uh, it, it's almost sounds childish to say which one you like more. I, I can just appreciate the differences that you just articulated. I think the Gospel Coalition is broader um, and has a, a different feel, which which I tend to like. I did want to ask you, and I don't know how much of this you have as an insider view or, or not, but it, I've sent some evolution in the Gospel Coalition, too. In some of its earlier uh, iterations, you know, you had, like, the elephant room uh, controversy. Um, and am I right on that? Was that a Gospel Coalition-sponsored uh, event where, you know, some of the guys would interview a, an unlikely uh, guest, maybe like T.D. Jakes, for instance. And yeah, there was a lot of uh, things blowing up in the blogosphere about that at the time. And and my sense is that the Gospel Coalition has been careful, if I'm right on this, to distance itself from things like that. Would you say I've got that right? Well, I think with the elephant room, it's, it's uh, very much a, there was very much a distancing at that, at that time. There was, um, uh, and that could, you could see that even in, in how, um, 
some of the pastors uh, associated with the coalition disagreed with other pastors on the the um, if that was a if that was a proper thing to do if that was the right thing for to do. Um, so so yeah, I, I, but I, I don't think Elephant Room ever was sponsored by the Gospel Coalition. Okay. And I think I think that's where that's where it gets a little interesting uh, because what you have is, is is you do you have a co- coalition of pastors. And you have, uh, and they all have their own churches. Uh, some of the more well-known pastors in the coalition uh, have their own in- spheres of influence. And so it, you, the fact that a pastor associated with the Gospel Coalition can can be involved in a conference, uh, you know, or be a sponsor of a, of a conference that the coalition itself wouldn't necessarily get behind, yes. it, it does... In this day of associations, it really makes those those conversations interesting because people can immediately jump from one thing to another. You know, oh, there's a, a scandal in this denomination or in this network of churches. So, what is the responsibility of the Gospel Coalition as a whole yes. to say about that? You know, this scandal or this pastor who you know has just resigned because of moral failure or this pastor. You know, uh, you've got situations where people who have at one, even, even at one point been associated with the Gospel Coalition, who then have, um, uh, headlines surrounding them for various reasons. You've got conversation about what's the responsibility of the coalition, what does the coalition ought to do. And what, it, there, there tends to be this, this, um, I think a, a mistaken idea out, out there that there's this, um, close knit group of people that basically run everything. And then they, you know, they, they, and I, I don't know how many times people have, you know, acted like those of us who blog on the platform, you know, are, were the puppets being pulled by the strings of a, you know, the higher up, you know, higher up gospel coalition. And I, I just have to kind of chuckle at that because, um, because it really is so much looser an affiliation than, than what is, 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 um, the, uh, than, than what it seems to be the appearance to some people. Yes. And so it really is a loose affiliation of people who uh, don't see IEI on any number of things, but who, who come together and have a like-minded uh, kinship on the centrality of the Bible, uh, the, the need for the centrality to be on the gospel in our ministry, and for that to shape how we do, how we do church life. And so, um, you know, I, I think... I, it's interesting um, how those associations in the past few years have um, have given the Gospel Coalition, you know, some some of its own controversy because of how those work out, and the responses have sometimes been criticized as too much, sometimes not enough, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's an interesting dynamic that I think um, lots of parachurch organizations uh, feel and have to navigate in different ways. Yes. Yeah, and I think you you said that. Well, I, to me, what makes it so exciting is it's a it's a microcosm of ministry, right? It is messy, and things aren't uh, neat and tidy, particularly when you've got friends from across denominations um, that are fellowshipping and they're putting out resources and materials, and you know you're you're going to sense some of those uh, you know distinctive emphases uh, among different people depending on their perspectives and their backgrounds. What what does the Gospel Coalition, from your perspective? Trevin, seem to be focused on now. Uh, any trends, any any uh, emphases they're trying to bring, things that are lacking in the local church as they see it that they would like to address? Well, I, I, you, I, you really have to ask, um, when I think of the Gospel Coalition, 
Uh, I think the answer to that question comes on two fronts. On the one hand, you've got what what are kinds of needs or issues are uh, what is the focus of the of the web presence of the Gospel Coalition, which is which is very strong in its own right. Yes. Um, and then the question of the coalition of the members itself, I think, might be slightly different. Um, not necessarily opposing or contradictory in any mm-hmm. way, but just just different because of a. You'll have one I think would be much more focused on church life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the. It, and again, you'd, you'd want to talk to actual editors, the editorial directors of what goes on online. But from from what I can see, the focus of the site um, in particular and a lot of the articles that they're publishing and the kinds of bloggers that they platform and are, are promoting, um, I think it's, it's really the gospel in all of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no subject that is particularly off-limits. Um, different perspectives can can come to light on any number of things when it comes to to church life and doctrine and practice. But then, but then also, and you know how we engage politics, how we engage our neighbors, how we um, how we stand firm in a culture that is quickly shifting on issues related to sexual ethics and whatnot. Um, I, I think the the Gospel Coalition website uh, intends to to provide a service to busy pastors and church leaders who who can't cover everything in a sermon yeah. and 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 really shouldn't try because they're not cultural commentators obviously they can speak to every issue but who would like a who who, who enjoy knowing that there is a a place where they're going to get solid substantive theologically minded uh resources that do speak to some of these issues that those pastors and church leaders can then can then push out yes. to their own congregations. And doesn't doesn't mean they're gonna agree with TGC on everything or agree with every columnist. I mean there's columnists and, and coalition members who actually disagree mm-hmm. on some of some of the pressing issues of the day. Um so there's not always a one TGC stance on 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 a, a certain issue, but but at least they're going to get thoughtful and reflective uh and hopefully helpful and beneficial resources that they can can use and lean on as part of their overall discipleship strategy. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's great. And and your blog uh Trevin is is great and is it still called Kingdom People? It is. Uh cuz Nathan and I want to ask you. <laughs> we feel maybe somebody else has given this. We think we could be your um your spin doctors. And what about you change it? Kingdom People is a great name, but has anybody ever said like wax eloquently? Or waxing eloquent. I mean, come on, man. With your name, <laughs> it is just I, I, ripe for the picking. I have heard multiple oh. examples of things I should consider. So that is not the first time I've heard that oh, one. Actually. I knew we were late to the party on that one. I know. Uh, the whole ball of wax is another one. Oh, yeah. Did you think uh, about yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's all of those have been floated. Yeah, get, getting the wax out of your ears, uh, that's less pleasant. <laughs> that doesn't have an aesthetic beauty that you're going for. That's but, right. Uh, no, we Pro- just probably that. not. No. <laughs> Kingdom people is good, but if, if you ever need us as your personal spin doctors, Trevin, we, we come at a very reasonable fee. Well, uh, that is very good to know. Yeah. Don't call me. I will call you. <laughs> That's where you see, I'm going to have my people call your people. 
you know, I'm gonna have my kingdom people call your whatever people we are. Um, no, that's uh, that's great, Trevin. I mean, this was was very very helpful. We also did want to say we didn't even tell you this, but you wrote a book. Uh, Broadman Holman did. Um, I think in 2013, uh, they were the publisher. Gospel centered teaching is that right? That's right. That's right. Good. It's a uh, in a nutshell. This is what I would I've passed out to small group leaders. Uh, non-seminary trained leaders in the church who open up God's Word and help people through Bible study. It, it's it's basically to try to explain this is what we mean when we you, when you hear these words like gospel centered or let's get back to the gospel or let's ground our you know in let's ground our morals in the gospel rather than you know apart from them. I wanted to explain that for people who are who hear that jargon and want to get on board and don't really know exactly what it is where we're always talking about or how to apply it in their teaching. And so that's, that's the point of that book. And uh, I hope it, it really does help small group leaders. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Great. No, we, we really appreciate it, Trevin. And, and again, we do, we want to, um, with your permission, we actually want to give away five copies of your book, gospel centered teaching, um, to, uh, people who review us on iTunes. Um, it's important for us that people review us on iTunes so that we get, um, found quicker on the internet searches and databases, um, nothing more, nothing less. Um, but we also want to get this book in people's hands because it is so, um, so good and so important that people do understand, um, how to approach teaching, uh, gospel, the gospel to people. So, yeah. And, and this That's one, great. Bro, we'll, we'll do this one as uh, as an ebook, yep. uh, as, as the Kindle edition, which I looked at it before we went on. And that is, that is, I just want to confirm, Trevor, that is available in, in ebook format, correct? It is. Great. Yes, it is. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So, then, yeah. Yeah. So, um, remember, review us and then, uh, get on, get on the, uh, email. These go to 11, the number 15 at gmail.com. Let us know that you reviewed and we'll get that book off to you. Yeah. And just to let people know, I've gotten a few emails. It takes, when you do an iTunes review, it takes usually about 24 hours to show up. Mm-hmm. I wish iTunes had a, you know, as good as Apple is, you would expect something to pop up on the screen that says, hey, we got your review. Right. It should post, you know, Lord, well, they wouldn't say Lord willing. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it should post in 24 hours. Uh, and uh, so if, if it looks like it got lost in the blue nowhere, it did not. It usually shows up the next day. So if you just email us again, at these go to 11. The one, number 15. One yep. five at gmail.com. We'll know that you did it, and uh, we'll get you out an ebook of uh, Trevin's book, Gospel Centered Teaching, uh, which really I think is going to bring together a lot of uh, what we talked about today. And yeah. you're right, Trevin. So many people I talk to have caught the gospel centered thing as a term, and they it resonates with them. They know, yeah, that's good. I, I want to be gospel centered. But I think it runs the risk of being a cliche, and I think your book just does an excellent job, of course, of of laying out um, what does that look like practically. Uh, how could a person who's never been to seminary or Bible college um, apply this in his or her teaching? So thank you for writing, and thank you for writing all your books and your blogs, Trevin, and uh, for being with us today, man. This has been great. Yeah. Well, thanks for the invitation. I'm uh, glad to glad to be on, and glad to be able to, to talk with you guys. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Uh, Greg, Trevin, we just rocked the Casbah. Tennessee style. These go to 11.